So we're going to look at the beginning of this short book. We're not going to read the whole thing this morning. We're just going to read the first seven verses of Jude. We're going to focus especially on one short command, contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. Now, contend earnestly means fight hard. It's pretty simple. Contend earnestly, fight hard. So we are to fight hard for the faith. Now, <clears throat> before we read it, I just want you to stop and think about that. We're gonna, we're gonna, we'll come to reading it, and you'll see that, see it in its context. But if you're to fight hard for the faith, there's a few things that ought to be obvious to you that you ought to be able to know right off the bat. The first is that you have to fight. Right? There is no obedience to this command, contend earnestly for the faith, without fighting. If you are unwilling to fight, you can't obey this command. If you're too lazy to work, you're certainly too lazy to fight. You won't obey this command. Right? Because fighting is the hardest kind of work. <clears throat> Second, it means that we can't be the type of person who fights half-heartedly. You, you, you can't fight hard, you can't contend earnestly if you're the kind of person who never thinks that there's anything worth fighting hard for. If you're committed to being jaded, to being cynical, and thinking that there's nothing worth getting worked up over in this life, you can't understand the book of Jude. And you can't begin to obey the command that summarizes the whole book. And that's this command, contend earnestly for the faith. So, I just want those words to sink in at the start. Contend earnestly. Fight hard. Then once we get past that, <clears throat> you've got for the faith. And that's where we get tripped up not having any idea what it would mean to contend earnestly for the faith. And you may be inclined to think, oh, well, this must be something that pastors are supposed to do. Right? That would be convenient for you, inconvenient for me, but in fact the command, if you pay attention while we're reading it, you'll see that <clears throat> the letter is not addressed to pastors or any one pastor, but to believers in general. So we're going to have to figure out, all of us, what it means to contend earnestly for the faith. And note that this is in contrast to the things that we are often inclined to contend earnestly for. All right? It does not say contend earnestly for your rights, like stand up for your rights. Right? This is, this is what we're inclined to contend earnestly for. You know, when people start talking about taking away our guns, well, now we're ready to contend earnestly. As long as you're willing to contend earnestly for the faith, 
I'll let you contend earnestly elsewhere. But until you're willing to contend earnestly for the faith, I don't want to see you contending earnestly for the Republican Party. I don't want to see you contending earnestly for your rights. I don't want to see you contending earnestly for your reputation. Okay? Let's start with where Scripture starts. Contending earnestly for the faith. We're going to see as we go through this passage that contending earnestly for the faith is a two-part command. All right, And the reason is because it involves both belief and action. And that's because faith includes both belief and action. If, if you were to just think, what is the faith, and how would I contend earnestly for it, you've, you've first got to understand what the faith is. And the faith is made up of what we believe and how we act. <clears throat> and so, this week we're going to focus on the necessity of contending within ourselves, individually, personally. And then next week, we're going to look at contending as that expands out beyond us to others within the church, within other churches, within the world as a whole. But this week, we're going very, very narrow, thinking about ourselves. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from Jude, verses 1 through 7. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints." For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels, who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. This is the word of the Lord. Excuse me. Okay. 
So, two-part command. Belief and action. <clears throat> Made up of both of those things, we see faith at the core of this command. Contend earnestly for the faith. <clears throat> First, your own faith. This is clearly what the author has in mind. Jude wants us to see that our own faith is at stake. And so the beginning of his letter focuses on belief. He does not go into a whole bunch of doctrine. Okay, He does not teach a whole bunch in terms of what we ought to believe. It's not equivalent to the book of Romans, which goes into systematically walking through things theology, all right, he just says what you believe, and and then he says, and you already know it, but I want to remind you, but then he doesn't even go into it, he just says, look, you you know these things, you believe these things. But if we're going to fight hard for our own faith in belief, that means that we are going to have to study to know the faith. We must study in order to understand true doctrine. You cannot stand against false teaching without knowing true teaching. And you see, he's talking about those who crept in, right? He's warning us against people who who have bad doctrine, bad belief, and bad practice. They've turned it into licentiousness through their bad teaching, right? So if you've got bad teaching and bad action... We have to learn to stand against them by studying to know what the Scriptures say. Study to what be approved, right? Or we read in Ephesians 4, 14, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. So, that's a progression, if you, if you pay attention to that verse. It starts off with being carried about by every wind of doctrine. So, just any random thing that comes along, well, you've got to progress beyond being blown around by every every little wind of doctrine that comes by. But then you also have to progress beyond that to also not being tricked by men, the trickery of men. Well, that's a little bit different than just a random breeze that's blowing by, right? Someone's intentionally trying to trick you. You've got to be even more on guard. And finally, craftiness in deceitful scheming. You've got to be able to withstand not just being blown around by, you know, silly little doctrines that come in here and there. You have to be progress. We must progress to no longer being children all the way through to withstanding deceitful scheming, craftiness. All right? If we are going to fight hard for the faith, if we are going to contend earnestly, we have to know what the faith is. We have to study. (coughs) 
And so, <clears throat> Jude starts his letter with some really loaded theological terms. Some really loaded words. Deep theological meaning is contained in those first few verses. What do we see? He calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. A slave of Jesus Christ. Well, you communicate so much in calling yourself a slave of Jesus Christ. So much doctrine is bound up in that word. If I were going to try to do the book of Jude in anything other than three or four weeks, it could take forever. You start with Jude, a slave. A slave? Really? A slave? Have you ever studied that? Have you ever looked at the other places where the Bible talks about being slaves or who are slaves to God and what we're to be slaves to and what we're not to be slaves to? Can you think of other places where slavery is mentioned? Being enslaved to obedience in Jesus Christ rather than enslaved to the lusts of our flesh. There's so much when Jude calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. to those who are called. Okay, so all of Reformed doctrine, and and I use that word knowing that you here with me know it. Okay? All of Reformed doctrine rests on that word, called. Beloved in God the Father. What encouragement is to be found in these words? So when I, when I talk about contending earnestly for the faith with regard to belief, it must start with the fact that you believe these things. You must believe these things. And so Jude is looking to strengthen us at the very beginning of the letter, doctrinally, by saying who he's writing to. And not by saying just two Christians. He describes what we are. We are the called. We are beloved in God the Father. We are kept for Jesus Christ. What more could you ask for than those things? What more could you ask for than God to call you, to love you, to keep you? And does this strengthen you for contending earnestly? Absolutely. Because when you have confidence knowing that these things are true, then <clears throat> you know that we share a common salvation with Jude and with one another.
if that is, we are not of those who have crept in. And so we we need to know what true belief is in order to even understand whether we believe the gospel or whether we believe something else. If we believe something else and we start contending earnestly, we will be those who have crept in. Those who have crept in are contending earnestly until we can with confidence state what the faith is, we will be unable to speak to those who have crept in. We will be unable to withstand their false teaching. We will be unable to make progress in the faith as we have been commanded in this by contending earnestly. So study the Word of God. Study what the faith is. And then, from there, Jude goes on and he begins to talk about our actions. Okay? So what would it what would it look like for our actions to be of the faith? Well, it starts with fear of the Lord. In fear, let us live holy lives. If love doesn't prevent you from turning away from God to licentiousness, if love and joy in the things that we've just heard, namely that God called us, that he loves us, that he keeps us. If those things don't lead you to obedience, then let the fear of the Lord lead you to obedience. If proper knowledge doesn't turn your actions away from licentiousness, as Jude calls it. And what is licentiousness? Giving yourselves to the lusts of the flesh, to whatever it is that you want, to the idolatries of your heart, and justifying them by the gospel, by the false gospel, as Jude is discussing. And you know all things once for all. If you know the gospel, if you know the faith, you know all things once for all. It's not like we need to keep learning that Jesus died on the cross. If you know that, you know it once for all. Right? If you know what that means, that that was him paying the penalty so that our sins could be forgiven. You know it. You know it once for all. It's not like you need to keep learning it. Yes, we need to be reminded of it. And there's nothing wrong with being reminded, which is what he says and what we read many other places. To write the same thing to you again is no trouble. I don't mind reminding you, but listen, you know this. You've known this. You know it. You you know all things once for all. 
But if that doesn't turn you to living a holy life, then let this reminder be a help to you, causing you to fear and thus obey. What reminder? Well, the reminder of what happened to the Israelites. What happened to the Israelites? They went out from Egypt because God rescued them. With a mighty hand, he saved them and brought them out. Saved them from the armies of Egypt. And yet those Israelites refused to believe after all that God had done for them. And what did he do? He killed them in the wilderness. That's the reminder that Jude wants us to remember. That's the reminder. How is that helpful to us? Well, it's helpful to us in causing us to fear God and to live holy lives, which is exactly what he's calling us to. What other reminders does he give? Well, he reminds us that angels, angels who abandoned the proper abode, God is holding for judgment on that great day, keeping them in bonds, waiting. Does that not cause us to fear that if this is the response to angels who have sinned, what will the response to us be? And most directly, the reminder of Sodom and Gomorrah, who indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, they were burned up by God's fire. Each of these are examples. And in the final judgment, God will put the cursed into a lake of eternal fire. That's what Sodom and Gomorrah is meant to be for us, a reminder, a a warning that this is what is coming to those who disobey God. So, our belief in the faith is central. Our actions are also central. The book of James goes into this at length, talking about how you can't separate faith from action. They They must come together. So what does this mean? Well, watch out for bad company. Bad company corrupts good morals. In fear, live holy lives. In love, live holy lives. Now, if you know all things once for all, remember I was talking about the basics of the gospel, you know already that this is not a condemnation of all who have sinned. Right? This is a condemnation of those who will not repent. And so let your actions be holy. And when they are not, turn to him in repentance. This is the 
connection between faith and action. Because repentance is belief and action together. It is believing that this is bad and this is good and turning from this, which we've been doing, to this. It's proper belief and proper action coming together at once. We should be a church that is filled with people who are contending earnestly for the faith. Next week we're going to be looking at contending earnestly for the faith in this church and in the broader Christian community, but we can't hope to do that if we aren't willing to fight our own sin and temptation. Are you willing to contend earnestly? Paul writes to Timothy a couple of different letters. In his first letter, he tells him twice to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. He opens and closes his letter with that command. Six chapters long. In chapter 1, I think verse 18, he's writing that. And in chapter 6, verse 12, he's writing that. Here's 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Notice, this is how similar this is to contend earnestly for the faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Do you see the, the, the correspondence in the book of Jude? Who is Jude writing to? The called. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So that's what Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter, then in his second letter, as he's about to die, his death is approaching, and Paul writes to Timothy again. This time he says, I, Paul, have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, Church of Jesus Christ, have you loved His appearing? If you have loved His appearing, you will fight for the faith. You will fight the good fight. If you have loved His appearing, what is the judgment that will come? The judgment is well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome into my eternal rest. It is, here is the crown of righteousness laid up for you. The Lord's reward is sweet and precious. It is worth fighting for. Do you want a crown? We've been reading as a family Lord of the Rings and Aragorn is, you know, the great king in the story. 
And what does he need? I, we're only halfway through the second book, but what does he need? He keeps needing his crown. That's what I keep thinking. You're just waiting for him to for for his kingly glory to be revealed. We're waiting for Jesus' kingly glory to be revealed. But do we not also want crowns? But his judgment is also terrible. And worth fighting to escape. There is great treasure and terrible pain at stake. Those are the only two. Great treasure or terrible pain. If great treasure isn't enough to get you off of your butts and to fight hard, then maybe the fear of terrible pain will be. We must contend earnestly. Last night I read about a river out in Colorado. We've gone on vacation a number of times to Silverton area, Durango area, and southwest Colorado, and there's a bunch of mines out there. You can go on mine tours and the Environmental Protection Agency uh, on Wednesday was working to figure out how to stop a mine from leaking acid water out into the rivers. And uh, <clears throat> they were thinking about trying to drain off some of the water so that it wouldn't leak so much. So they're putting in a, a drain. And they had no idea how much water was in there. So as they're putting in this drain, all of a sudden, a million gallons of acid water rush out of the mine and join the creek, right? And so now the creek has the acidity of my coffee over there, and it's bright greenish, yellowish, orangish and filled with heavy metals. And it's running down the mountain and joining bigger rivers. And today it's supposed to make it, and they don't know what, it could still be orange when today it makes it to the Grand Canyon. Leaking at the rate of 538 gallons per minute still from the mine. All right? Well, what's my point? That orange, that yellow color, all right, it's, it's infiltrated, the water. And everything bad that it contains and that it stands for, it's infiltrated. Is it worth fighting to keep that out of your life? Yes. You don't want that. You don't want it in your water supply. You don't want it in your life. And so Jude is warning us. 
We must take the warning seriously. We have to fight. So what is that going to look like? Remember that verse in Timothy? Paul writes, and he says, physical discipline, eh, you know, take it or leave it. But what? What does he contrast physical discipline with? Physical discipline meaning like get up and do your stretches, you know, do your exercises. Okay, get this done. Yeah. Maybe some of you actually do exercise in the morning. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe even some of you exercise hard in the morning. I don't know. Go out running. Physical discipline. That's all well and good. What's that contrasted with? Godly discipline. Which bears fruit for what? This life and the life to come. So what is godly discipline? Well, getting up and going running can be godly, but it's not the godly discipline that he's talking about. It's what he's contrasting it with. So what would godly discipline look like in the context of contrasting between getting up and going running? It looks like getting up and reading God's Word. It looks like getting up and spending time in prayer. It looks like caring enough about what the prayer requests are to actually remember them. And then, not just to remember them, to pray about them. Do you see the earnestness here? Related to the faith? Earnestly. It looks like memorizing God's Word. Why would you memorize God's Word? Either to show off, or because you earnestly believe that this is worth fighting. That you earnestly want to know what God's Word says. That you earnestly want to fight sin and you want to, like Jesus, be able to respond in the hour of temptation with the words of God which are sharper than a two-edged sword. And you want Satan to flee when he tempts you. How are you going to do that if you're not willing to give yourself to to the simplest earnestness of memorizing God's word, thinking that there's some value in that. So, here we are, first Sunday. Are we as a church going to be earnest fighters, contenders for the faith? In our own lives, will we give ourselves to that sort of discipline? We must. And the reward is not the reward of, then there will be lots of people here. The reward is not the reward of, then we can feel good about ourselves. The reward is then I can not then I can be a self-controlled person who can get up in the morning and go running and who can quit smoking and who can no the reward is a crown 
of righteousness laid up by God our Father. Do you want it? I want it. I want it for you. So let's start fighting for the faith. Together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word from Jude. This short little letter that convicts us of our apathy. It convicts us of our cynicism. convicts us of how we have become licentious because we misunderstand your grace, because we twist it to mean that we can do whatever we want and that we don't have to worry. Forgive us and help us to fight hard for the faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.